As we've talked about from the beginning of this series, The Good and Beautiful God, and this week is God is Love. It's Valentine's, so there you go. Just kind of, that accidentally happened, just so you know. We didn't realize we planned that out so well. As we've said from the beginning of this series, your picture of God is critical. Because your picture of God rubs off on you. What if the whole deal is, and again, I don't want to go too far down this road, but let's say what if the whole deal is we become like the God we worship? What if? If we see our God as the God of legalism, then we're going to have a tendency to put a standard not only on ourselves but on others that look a whole lot like a God of legalism. If we have a tendency to believe that God is against a certain group of people or against certain persons, then we will have freedom to really feel like we can do the same thing because we're like the God that we worship. So if we come, become like the God of we worship, if that is true, what if we saw our God as the God of love? I mean, really. That we really saw him as the God that is the God of love. That John 3, 16 and 17 really is how he feels about us. For the God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, that he did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. What if? What if you saw God and you begin to worship that God and that God rubbed off on you? 1 Corinthians 13, I love reading it out of the message. I want to kind of set this as our marker, if you will, today. It's not the leaping off point, but it is a it's not where we're going to camp, but I want it to kind of be a starting point. I guess is a better way to say it. And you can look it up. It's in the message if you've got it on your electronic device, or you can look it up, look up on the screen. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all of his mysteries and make everything plain as day, and I have faith and say to, and say, that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps. But I don't love. I'm not a nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, no matter what I believe, no matter what I do, I am bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love, does, love doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on other, others. Isn't always me first. Let's remember that then on the grounds today. Uh, <clears throat> uh, doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. I love that phrase. Puts up with anything. Trust God always. Always looks for the best. Never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. 
Inspired speech will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limit. We only know a portion of the truth, and what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the completion comes, our incompletes will be canceled. When I was an infant at my mother's breast, I gurgled and cooed like an infant. But here's something for some of you here today. When I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We see it all. We'll see it all then. See it as clearly as God sees us, knowing Him directly, just as He knows us sitting down across the table and just having a conversation. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us towards that consummation. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly. Love extravagantly. And the best of these three is love. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly. Love extravagantly. What if you started becoming like that? What if you believed the God you worshipped was that God? How would it change you? If you would turn to the book of Hosea, it's first the minor prophets. If you have your Bible, or you can, again, go there. We'll have it up on the screen, too. But Hosea is the first of the minor prophets. It's about two-thirds of the way in your Bible, and it's right after the book of Daniel. Hosea means salvation, and it likely comes from the fact that Hosea's position in Israel is a beacon of hope to the country, to those who would repent and turn to God and, and be reconciled. Hosea's contemporaries, as you're looking, if you're turning there, if you're finding it, it was Isaiah and Micah in the southern kingdom. The kingdom was split at that time. And then he was in the capital city of Samaria, which was in the northern kingdom. And more than any other prophets, uh, Hosea linked his message closely with his personal life. For instance, we'll read a little later, as we'll see, God uses the names of Hosea's children, along with his wife's unfaithfulness, to send specific messages to the people of Israel. Hosea, the best we can tell as a young preacher, is led by God to marry a prostitute by the name of Gomer. And yes, I said Gomer. We're going to read in Hosea 1, 11 through, 1 through 11, and then I'm going to jump down to Hosea 3, 1 through 5. There's 14 chapters. We're not going to try to cover all that today, but I think this will help us kind of know where we're headed today. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of uh, Biri, during the reign of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, a daughter of Dublaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him uh, Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley 
of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Loru Hamon. I know I butchered that, but we're all right. Which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at, or that, that should, I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah and will save them not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord, their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lot-Rama, uh, and Gomer, and Gomer had another son, and the Lord said, Call him Lomi, which means not my people. If you are not my people, I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand of the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted in the place where it is said to them, You are not my people. They will be called the children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Chapter 3, 1 through 5. The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man, and it is, and it is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a, a lethek of barley. This is a prophetic word for Israel that they, they are still living out today. Then I told her, you're to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way towards you. For the Israelites will live many days without kings or princes, without sacrifice or sacred stone, without ephod or household goods. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessing in the last days. A lot there. But let me kind of sum it up this way. In so many ways, the story of Hosea... it really doesn't differ from millions of other lives that happen every year. I don't care if it's in Phoenix or Tucson or Little Rock or, or London or New York City or Wicks, Arkansas. Wherever there's people, there's stories of broken vows, broken lives, broken homes, broken hearts. And I imagine when Homer, I mean, when, when God told Hosea, to go marry Gomer, I would say there was probably, I don't know about you, but some type of conversation, in, at least in, in Hosea's mind about this because it seemed pretty radical. It seemed like something that didn't make sense. But probably in there, you would think Hosea would be going, okay, I know her past is bad, but I'm going to marry her and God is going to use his transformation and his grace and his power and he's going to transform her and she's going to be this beacon of an example of what God can do with a broken life and put her back together again and we're just going to live happily ever after and that didn't happen. He assumed the wrong thing. Can you imagine the wedding if it was in this day and age? Of course, it was a little different back then, but can you imagine the wedding if you came in here in this sanctuary and the wedding was happening here and you walk in and you're, you're on the, the, the groom's side, you're sitting with uh, Hosea and there's just a few of you because he's prophet and so he probably doesn't have very many friends in the first place. So there's very few of you. But you look over here on, on Gomer's side and it's all men. <laughs> and it's full. <laughs> she comes out all dressed in black. Just a bad sign. <laughs> But part of the marriage here, God is, God is always intended for his people 
to look at, I believe, the whole idea of the relationship we have with him as a covenant relationship as between a man and a woman. That that is, not, is more than just a promise that I may or may not keep. We talked about that a few weeks ago, about keeping promises or not keeping promises. You know, how we can go back and forth on that. Sometimes people hold you to promises you never really made. They just wanted to make it a promise. But when you're talking about this kind of promise, this is a covenant. It's sealed. It's done. That's what God wants. But he also knows us. So they get married, though. And as we read the story, she eventually goes back to another life. But what happened in the marriage? Do we really know? The Word doesn't tell us here exactly what happened inside of that marriage. I mean, maybe Hosea didn't have time for his wife. Maybe he was, out too busy. he was too busy out trying to save Israel. He was out trying to warn Israel, hey, you guys are headed towards a cliff. And I'm trying to jump in front of you and tell you you're headed towards a cliff. Disaster lies ahead. And maybe, just maybe, Gomer was not as compelled to live out this vision and make the sacrifices it would take to see Hosea fulfill his vision. We don't know. One of the things we do in the ministry, and I've had the opportunity over the years, not only to interview folks that may have come on staff whether it was at Crossroads or here at Renovation, but I've been on the, the, the uh, credentials board for our denomination over the years. It was probably 10 years and interviewed, I don't know, tens of people. But one of the things I always wanted to know and tried to push hard in, in those process, in order to even be ordained in the Church of the Nazarene, your spouse has to be sitting there next to you if you're married. To be interviewed at Renovation, if you're married... And you come to interview to be on staff here as far as a pastoral type position here at Renovation, the spouse has to be sitting there. I don't know how many jobs or occupations are that are like that, but I'm going to guess close to zero outside of, and we're not, I mean, I'm, nonprofits that are Christian don't do that. But I'm talking about, I'm not even sure all denominations or all non-denominations do that. I just know we do that. That spouse has to be sitting in that room and she or he are interviewed also because we know from experience that if that person is not as committed to that call as that person that you're hiring, you're hiring, you're paying one, but you're hiring two in some ways. If that's not there, there there's trouble ahead. So we don't know if that's the case. Was he too busy out preaching and, and with that, instead of coming home? We don't know. Or maybe, Jose, maybe Gomer was like, man, this call that I've been called to, to be the wife of a prophet, the life I have lived, I don't deserve being here. Because I don't see this God of love that, that loves me unconditionally. Maybe she didn't hear that. That he can take broken pieces and make them something beautiful. I don't know. But bit by bit, little by little, she's wandered back to her old life. And Hosea being a man of God, I'm going to guess prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. 
And probably even having children, maybe at some point there, maybe for some of you, I've seen this in marriages and it doesn't work many times, but I've seen when marriages are in trouble, all of a sudden, through whatever circumstances, they end up with a child before you know it. And they think that child will somehow or another bridge that. Somehow or another will tie them back together. And maybe, hope against hope, maybe Hosea's looking at this going, all right, now we're going to have this great marriage because God's going to use this. He answered my prayers. What he didn't know was that every one of his children's names were going to be something he was not going to be happy with. You know, here at Renovation, I'm sure they do it in many churches around the world, uh, but not all, but, but we dedicate children here at Renovation. And one of the things we, we like to do when we, when we dedicate children, of course, and I've said this before, it's the parent commitment, not the baby. We realize that. But they're dedicating, and they come to say publicly that they're dedicating to raise their child in a certain way. One of the things we try to do is come up with the spiritual name for that, whatever that name is. His name's Bill. We've got to figure out our spiritual name. If his name's Joey or Susie, we've got to figure out a name. So I say figure it out. We try to tie it together. But I'm going to tell you, when Gomer and Jose came, I would be on vacation that week. Because that is not going to be a fun. Because I like to go brave and loyal, you know. Uh, what, you know, you go down these, these, these warrior, you know. And then you come to this. Jezreel. Because I'm about to punish. Now, he was in the northern kingdom. If he had been in the southern kingdom, it would have been Jezreel. <laughs> Israel, where are you, boy? I'm about to punish. A daughter. The second one. Lo Ruhama. Meaning not having obtained mercy. To have no pity. I will no longer show you love. Wow. And on the surface here, this sounds pretty harsh. I get that, that God is being pretty harsh to this little baby, but most of all to even Israel because it is now being played out that what is happening here is is that God is using his life to speak prophetic words over Israel. But basically what I think God is saying here is I am no longer going to shield you from your rebellion. If you're going to worship other gods... Okay, if that's what you've decided to do, then you're going to have to depend on those gods also. Go ahead. See how they love you. See how they protect you. See how the provision comes. Go ahead and go ahead and worship them, but I'm going to back up a little bit. I'm going to back up. I had an agri... How many of you had FFA in high school? Many of you don't know what that means. Future Farmers of America. Okay. We had, ag, we had agri, in my ninth grade, my freshman year, we had an ag teacher named Mr. Holman, and uh, in my school, because it's really old at the time, and it's been updated since then, they do have, you know, central heat and air now, but back then it was windows open, was air conditioning, and had a radiator, you know, a radiator, most of you know, those big radiators that stand about this tall, not most of you, some of you would know, but one of the things in the middle of winter is, we thought it would be funny while he had run to the office, us, all of us boys in ag class, we decided that we would put our, our chewing gum on the radiator. Now, 
I'm not sure how toxic the fumes were. Probably pretty significant because it was so bad. Your eyes are watering. You're wanting to throw up. So he comes back and he walks in the room. There's just kind of this, this mist and this toxic mist in the air, okay? And it just stinks to high heaven. And, man, you're just going to Mr. Holman. We said, Mr. Holman, we got to get out. And we're coughing and everything because we knew we couldn't leave the room without him telling, giving us permission. And you know what he says to us? He says, you made your bed, now wallow in it. And turn around and walked out. And we spent the next 40 minutes throwing up and being sick, and we were sick the rest of the day. I kind of feel like that's what God is saying here. You made your bed now. If you want to make that your idol, you want to make that as your way of provision, okay. Just see how this works out for you. Then a third child is born. His name's Lomi meaning not mine. And basically what we, we understand that God is saying to Hosea specifically here is this child is not yours, but you're about to raise it. It's bad enough she's running off. It's bad enough that she's having an affair. It's bad enough, but now she's birthing from this adulterous relationship. And now I, Hosea the prophet, I'm going to have to raise this child, matter of fact, what is she about to do? I'm heartbroken. I'm trying to work there. She leaves again. And again, there's so many things not filled in here, but we would assume at this point, Hosea tries to get along with his life. Probably his neighbor's saying, maybe you forget about her. All your friends are saying, you've got you to act like that. She no longer exists. She's gone. And it would be hard to think that at that point, she, he's gone through enough. Now he's raising a child that's not his. Now he's had all of these adulterous affairs happen to him from someone he loves dearly. You would think at that point, God would leave him alone. But he does not. Here comes God again saying, go find her. Can you imagine the conversation that Hosea was having with God going, no, she left, you, you remember, she left here. She left because she wanted to leave. She didn't want to have anything to do with us. I'm not even sure she's still alive. Go find her, Hosea. And if it was this day and age, what does he do? If, if you've got a promiscuous wife, or if, it, we don't know necessarily it's prostitution, but we do know that she went back to an adulterous relationship, the word says. We do know that part. Do you go on websites? Do you go to brothels? Do you go to bars? Where do you go? You put your reputation as the prophet of God on the line as if you want to go there, as if you're hunting for something that you're not, but you have to go to those places in order to be able to find her. I don't think I have this on the, on the screen, but verse two, chapter 2, verse 15, I love this. He says, there I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Acre a door of hope. I should have probably had it up here, but the word there is the word, the valley of Acre. Acre here means the valley of trouble. I'm going to let her go to the valley of trouble. Because for some of us, and I don't know about you, but I know in my own life, because I 
went almost a decade, as most of you, many of you have known me a long time, I've shared many times, running from God to the point I hardened myself from 16, 17 to 26, 27, where I was indifferent to God. I didn't hate him. I didn't love him. I just didn't have anything. There was no reason for it for me. But man, was I in the Valley of Acre. <laughs> when we persist on running, when we persist on going astray, it's almost as if sometimes we feel like God takes his hand off of us. And he allows us to suffer the consequences from which we chose. I was listening to a, this week. I love Robbie Zacharias, and I love this statement. I think I've got it word for word, but I love this. He said, God gives us the sacred gift of choice, but God does not give us the privilege of determining a different outcome to what the choice will entail. The consequences are bound to the choice. This week we celebrated Colton's birthday. On Tuesday night we had artichoke dip, chips, homemade lasagna, green chili cheese bread, white chocolate surprise pudding, and sweet tea. I ate between eight and 10,000 calories Tuesday evening. <laughs> You know why I ate it? Because I wanted it. <laughs> but guess what? It didn't happen. It didn't suspend the metabolism of my body. <laughs> what it did to me and how bad I slept. I think I slept like three hours that night. I was miserable. <laughs> because my choice, because I wanted to, did not suspend the consequences that it entailed. When you go to the Valley of Acre... You go to the valley of trouble, you choose to go there, you persist on it, you desire it, you run there. And you find there your broken dreams and your broken hearts and broken vows. And what I love about it, though, is it says in verse 215, it says, In the valley of Acre, though, there is a door of hope. It sometimes is in that valley we begin to see some light. For whatever reason, when things seemed to be going good, we couldn't see any light. But now in the Valley of Acre, we begin to see some light. Yes, did Gomer deserve to be where she was? I don't think any of us, if we look at it, go, she chose to be where she is. But it's played out again in our world every day. Your and my sin and rebellion is not done in a vacuum. If all your sin did was damage you, we'd go, okay, do, do your deal, whatever that is. But that doesn't happen that way. It's not done in a vacuum. Hosea's dream for his marriage and his family was broken. And I'm not sure Gomer ever dreamed this either, but here she finds herself, as the Scripture says, in slavery. But God said in the middle of it, go find her. And he found her. He found her on the auction block, being slow, sold as a slave. And in the ancient days, this is obviously a very established practice, whether it was one time a year or many times a year, that men and women would be sold like animals at the auction. 
shackled, shamed. And who knows what that scene looks like, but as Hosea walks up to that auction and sees her on the auction block, his wife, his. Did he yell? That's my wife. She is my wife. I want her now. I'm the best answer for her now. I have a feeling the auctioneer would say, Sir, I don't care who she is. You have to pay the price. And Hosea says, How much? And we read that he spends, and who knows how poor he was, but he finds the money. Hosea, you bought what was already yours? She was already your wife, but you had to pay a price to get your wife? She was already your wife. And you wonder what the exchange was like between Gomer and and, and Hosea as they're there and she's buying her again because she had been bought before. But you hope and pray that as Hosea was talking to her, said, I know you've been bought for by men before to be used, but I have bought you to heal you. Salvation has come. Yes, he bought something that was already his. Yes, he had to go to places where he never wanted to go to find her. Yes, Hosea hoped against hope probably this time that it would stick, that she really would know how much he loved her, that this time would be the final time that he had to go find her. I'm assuming that's what he was hoping. But let me ask you, sir. Let me ask you, ma'am. Where did Christ have to go to search for you? And before you answer it, and please don't answer it out loud, please. (laughs) Don't misunderstand me. I'm not here throwing stones at you today. Because believe me, I, I would not want to have to share with you the places he had to go to find me. And how many times did he have to go there? Was it a second time? A third time? Was it worse the second time? Was it worse the third time? Where did he have to go? To find you. Because I can tell you where he found me. When Christ found me, I was in slavery. I was in chains. I was on the auction block. Being sold as a whore to the world's system. But God said, he is mine. The auctioneer says, it doesn't matter. And I am so thankful. God said, how much? How much?
I hope you're following me in this story here. Because for some crazy reason, some of you thought you were Hosea in this story. <laughs> Got a big surprise for you. You're Gomer. Hosea represents Christ as he came into humanity to find you, to find you and find myself, to find us and to bring us back to him. I believe God loves us more than we can ever imagine. If I didn't believe that, I don't think there's any way I could continue to walk this out. There'd be no reason to step up here on a Sunday morning going, our God is a wishy-washy God. It just depends. I believe his heart is broken for those who've rejected him. And I believe there is a righteous anger that he has. I believe it is correct and it is just. But it's as if a spouse who has been betrayed by the spouse in an adulterous relationship where there is this, in this tension, I think this complicates it for the world sometimes, that they don't really quite understand that this is possible. That in tension, in God's, the ability even for us as we become like, hopefully, this God we worship, that in the middle of this tension is this unconditional love that's unexplainable, that only comes from God, and there can still be righteous anger. Oh, you either got to have one or the other. No, you don't. There's a tension that can be lived out that you're going to do the right thing and still love unconditionally with all your heart. The world doesn't understand that. It's either one or the other. But this unbelievable tension that God allows us to live in, that we can be like that, that we can bring justice into the world, truth, and still love unconditionally. hard to explain. I get it. It's hard to explain. Because it is our bent to have our own way. It is our bent to wonder from God. Some of you have run for a long, long time. And in some ways you have felt like you haven't heard from God in a long time and you're really happy with that. Then all of a sudden one day there's this tap. I'm still here. <laughs> and when you're tired of running and when you're tired of doing all the things you want to do, I am still going to be here. I love you. Some of you in here today, one of the biggest challenges you have is you think you're Hosea in this story. It's the biggest challenge you have right now in your life is you think somehow, some way, you've been put in position to always be the rescuer when, a matter of fact, the only way you can be a great rescuer is to know that you've been rescued. You've walked close to the Lord. You've substituted being Hosea and being in judgment. You've substituted that for a real relationship with an almighty God.
that no matter what you've done, <laughs> no matter how many, I think, spoken words or thought words that have been in frustration and disappointment with God and cried out to Him or cursed Him or whatever it is, I don't believe that we've got a God that's fragile. <laughs> it is one that loves us so much. It says, okay, vent it out. But at the end of the day, I'm still going to be here. I'm still going to be here. I'm going to ask Chris and the band to come as we close today. As you know, over the last many weeks, God has been doing some work around these altars, and hopefully in the chairs too. <laughs> or over wherever you're sitting at home, or wherever you're out jogging or doing your exercise and listening, I hope God's doing work through this series because we believe God is love. Why do I believe God has a great plan for us? Why do I believe God says, I am not through with you yet? Why do I believe all that? Because I believe God is, knows the end from the beginning. We worship an eternal God that which we can't comprehend. He knows all of it. And He has known all along we're going to be people that are prone to wonder. But He still loved us anyway. Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated His love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I believe Hosea is telling us where many of you may be asking today where is God Hosea would say he's where he's always been <laughs> chasing after you it's where he's always been my lost decade I call it <laughs> got found because I found Christ and he began to use that decade to motivate me for the calling he had on my life. He takes these broken things. I don't know how he does it. I don't know why he does it except he is love. It's the only answer I have. Some of you hadn't heard from him in a long time and you've put up a great facade that you are hearing from him, but you're probably not. In the sense that you've substituted something else for your religion. You've substituted something else, even chasing after other others. Maybe it's not religious things. It's something else. You've put those in place of, of this intimate covenant relationship. And even though you have, I just want to tell you today, it's okay to admit it. But then it's time to turn and face, as the song says, in Broken Vessels, or one of the songs we had, looking into his eyes. <laughs>